and welcome back to another episode of Deets with Dita. I'm your host Nandita and today we are going to be talking about something that I've been meaning to talk about for a while considering this new direction that I'm taking the podcast in that I won't stop yammering on about um, which is Marvel fatigue and whether I have it. Do I have it? Is it something that I'm going to continuously have if I do have it? Or will it be something I will have in the future? Um, And I think this is a topic that's uh, incredibly important to me because, you know, I started out watching, like, getting into the film industry and getting into, like, films through Marvel films, right? So it's a big, it has a big weight and big impact on my cinema-going experience. So I thought, why not? break it down in today's episode considering you know on my nine month or six month break um I hadn't really been as um active in talking about some of the Marvel shows I typically would you know I did like the Loki episode I've done a Black Widow episode um I've done like a couple of episodes like that and um I think it makes more sense to talk about all of the stuff that I've missed in that period of time in one episode um, in this whole Marvel fatigue episode, because I don't know, to me, it just kind of makes sense through the timeline in a way. So I'll be going through, like, giving you a bit of context of you know Marvel fatigue in itself, like the whole concept, because I feel like the concept would be something that's quite foreign to some people, um, and my experience with it essentially uh, through the recent films that have come out. So the recent films being Eternals. Spider-Man No Way Home, Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness, and also Shang-Chi, I don't think I mentioned anything about on the podcast either. Um, And then for the TV series, um, there was Hawkeye that I didn't talk about, didn't talk about Moon Knight and Ms. Marvel, which is currently running on, um, on Disney Plus at the moment. So... A bunch of stuff I want to get through, and then I want to talk about where the future of the MCU is going and how this will affect um, my concept of um, Marvel fatigue. And finally, I'll I'll wrap it up and maybe pose the question to you guys, given all the information I've given you. Um, but without further ado, let's get started. So, in the last eight months, Marvel have released um, three films and two TV shows, and then currently in the process of its third tv show at the moment right and with that amount of content anyone is bound to get tired of it um and i think the problem that i'm seeing everyone speak about and the problem that i'm um sorry hearing everyone speak about and the problem that you know i'm even facing in myself is okay let's think about it uh retrospectively Um, let's say I was up to date with all the Marvel content, right? We are getting content continuously. You know, we have, um, goodness, we have films coming out in the middle of TV series, like, and, you know, Disney isn't slowing down with, with their content with other, um, franchises as well. Like, it's got Star Wars, Obi-Wan is running at the same time as Ms. Marvel is. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot going on, essentially, Um, by the sounds of it and by the looks of it and there is never a moment where we don't have Marvel content some people can be really happy about this I mean some people may be like eating it all up and be like yes this is what I'm living for I love this this is what everything I would have asked for for Marvel but a lot of people 
that I speak to and I regard their opinions incredibly highly about like this type of stuff is they're either not caught up with it all or they are caught up but they're just so tired of it and quite frankly I feel tired too um so this is kind of like my take on on it all is it's so it's just so painstakingly difficult keeping up with every every little detail and every little you know nuance that the MCU is coming out with and with each you know with each episode that comes out or with each um goodness each film that comes out there's like a spiral of like oh there's a specific reference to this comic book frame and like this that and the other and quite frankly I don't have the time nor energy to be looking at the MCU like that anymore you know I have the utmost respect for everything the MCU is doing which I will get onto in a second but you know it's it's overwhelming for for anyone I feel like you know my dad was having a conversation with me like I just feel like um I'm getting a bit tired of all of the the Marvel stuff that that's kind of on offer at the moment uh for and for someone like my dad to be making that comment is quite interesting because he's always been Marvel's biggest advocate you know he even said to me um that it feels like we're in the phase one at the moment of this new saga that, that we are entering in the MCU, you know, we had like the Infinity Saga, which had like phase one, phase two, phase three, but now we're in phase four of this new saga, which we have no idea what this new saga is going to be. Um, but, you know, it, it just feels very tame and feels very like, you know, we're filling in a load of origin stories again when, you know, we've we've been there, done that, we've seen origin origin stories, you know, um, unless they add like something new and then you have to think about the the whole concept of which is what I mentioned in last week's episode about the um, you know franchise films like should legacy franchise films just be kaput done finito um, and I think value added versus value um, produced right so like think about how much you're producing and think about how much of it is actually valuable to your, you know, to your your series and to your to your ever ever growing universe or multiverse or whatever you want to call it, right? Like it it definitely it definitely feels like, you know, should Marvel really be sitting and considering and maybe thinking about is this too much content that we're putting out for our audiences? Are they getting overwhelmed? And think about, you know, the growing age groups of their target audiences as well. All things that I really think they should consider. Um, but I'm going to delve more into that later on. Um, one thing I think that contributes to this problem of this Marvel fatigue. And we heard this phrase, by the way, like way when like Age of Ultron was coming out. Um, people were like, oh, Marvel fatigue, is it too much? And now we're at a stage where it is even more, and I feel like even less people are talking about this uh, whole concept of Marvel fatigue. Uh, quite frankly, because I think they're too scared to, um, because, you know, Marvel fans can be quite... Um, <laughs> can be quite an intimidating fandom to, to scare or to provoke in that way. Um... So I under it's completely understandable, 
But at the same time, I feel like we should be holding, you know, this like company accountable for like, you know, how how much of this are you actually doing to provide, you know, substance and to provide um, actual, you know, well-written narratives that you're fleshing out that ultimately are not a cash grab. And I'd argue some of the films that have been coming out have been slight cash grabs. Um, but again, more on that soon. <laughs> more on that in six. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's honestly, it's just very, very strange that, you know, we have this franchise that's always been very um, dependent on interconnecting all of its, all of its content together. So like you have, goodness, we've had like, years and years of building up to this Infinity Saga, Endgame, and Infinity War. And when we when we finally got there, it's like, okay, so now we're going to continue this interconnected stuff, but, like, almost on steroids. Like, it is super high-charged, everything is connected to everything, If you, if, and if you feel... And you feel like if you are not up-to-date, you are missing out, or you're forgetting this one niche reference, and you know, you just think, is it worth it? Is it worth sitting through such and such thing only to get like a, a small gain of like that one character that was in that one show shows up in this bigger and larger thing? Like, I don't know. I don't know whether it's worth it. And, you know, at the very beginning of this whole like um, Disney Plus spiel, Kevin, I remember Kevin Feige being all like, you know, you don't need to watch the series to understand the films. Um, it's all good if you don't end up watching them. They're just more additions uh, if you want different areas of the MCU kind of explored a little bit more. However, I feel like that is very contradictory when you have WandaVision that paid... Like, WandaVision was so heavily, you know, like, its narrative was very heavily intertwined with... Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness that I feel like if you just went straight to watching Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness and like didn't know anything about WandaVision nor did you even read any summaries of it you would you would ultimately just be so confused and so baffled by you know well why is Wanda bad now what's happened what are they talking about her kids like you know it's it's these little things where it's like well, no, because now we are being forced to watch more content that, than desired. I would have been so happy with the, the three films a year or maybe even having less films a year and then padding like some areas of time with some series. But I don't know. I feel like that is like my overview of like all the information that I have. But now I actually want to think about the content itself, right? Because I can go on and on about like, you know wider context is this good or bad but I feel like it is important to think about the actual content that we are being presented and whether or not I feel like this content is adding any value to the MCU um and you know am I enjoying it ultimately because at the end of the day I I could sit here and be like oh it's just it's a lot of content but if I'm enjoying it you know maybe it isn't so much of a bad thing that they're doing this um so let's get into it so for starters, I want to talk about the films, um, purely because MCU films tend to be formulaic, 
and what I mean by that is they tend to follow a certain sequence of events uh, that I've mentioned before time and time again even on the Martin Scorsese episode uh, talking about is cinema dying this whole formula of you have bad guy bad guy is basically good guy but like with like that has the same skill set and power set as bad as good guy but is just evil um they have to defeat them in order to you know prove that their self-worth and whatnot and like their morals are good um and I feel like we've seen that a lot um so that's just kind of like a summary of what I said in that episode but when you think about it the way it is now right you you have done this so many times like you you've you've used this formula so many times that now your audiences are very susceptible of picking up like if you're using this formula and will be like oh I can easily guess where this story is going and ultimately I feel like your job as a storyteller is to make the audiences question where the story is going and you know leave them intrigued or wanting more or you know questioning it rather than understanding where it's gonna go and then just seeing it unfold like that I feel like that is a very dull way to watch cinema cinema should get you thinking um especially when you're in a theater you should your mind should be on overdrive thinking what's gonna happen next you know I think Infinity War is a perfect example of that I did not when I watched that film for the first time I did not know where that was going and it ended in such a way where no other MCU film had done something like that before and that's why I think Infinity War is probably one of the most goaded like uh, excuse my like very what is it Gen Z language um but I think it's very 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 up there of being one of the um best like payoffs in all of like the 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 narratives kind of tying together in one like genuinely one of my favorites and I will continue to gush about Infinity War forever um until some other better MCU thing comes around um but I don't think we're getting that anytime soon um so with the films uh but getting back to the point when the complete tangent um getting back to the point of the films right so what I expect from this phase four of films that we are getting is are they bringing something new to the genre of origin stories because we're seeing you know we had Eternals and we had Shang-Chi as like some non-origin story based films being put in phase four and what I was really interested to see is whether it would follow that same type of formula um, that we typically see in the MCU and now this is where I got surprised I think that what the MCU tried to do so let's start with Shang-Chi, right? Because I think that one is a, the first one I didn't talk about on the pod. Um, I only saw this once, um, and that's saying something. Oh, actually, no, I've seen it twice. Yeah, I have seen it twice. Um, but I only saw it once in cinema, I think, is the, the statement to make. But I think with Shang-Chi, it was very different to other MCU films like origin based films because of you know where we where we see like Sean in the film played by Simu Liu absolutely love him he he is very sure of himself oh I should pro oh, okay hold on hold on before I get like too too deep into this um I just want to say 
there are going to be a lot of spoilers for a lot of these films um, in and these TV shows within this episode. I will try to leave time codes in the description. That is if Edison and Dita remembers to do that. Um, to basically say, here is when I'm talking about each film. I can't differentiate between like the spoilers or non-spoilers. Uh, purely because it would just take too much time. Um, but yeah, if you basically haven't seen it, um, then don't don't listen to it if you don't want it spoiled kind of thing. So, Shang-Chi. Um, so what I loved about it is that he essentially, like, was very... He knew of his heritage and he knew of this, um, this power almost that his his family kind of possessed and got to learn more about it in this film as opposed to just being really newly and truly introduced to it which I found really fascinating um, because he just didn't know that he had it within him which I thought was a, a very nice way of doing it however it does fall into the trope of you know the bad guy does use like his father does use the weapons um, the same like type of skill set and power set as obviously his son so it does fall into that trope but so it but it, so it does feel like a very marvel film and i think of all of the the phase 4 films that have come out so far i think it feels the most like a marvel film and i think you guys will complete like avid marvel um like fans or like people who just even casually watch marvel films will understand what that means instantly when i say that in the sense that like this just feels like a marvel film like i could i could pin it down as a marvel film um and you know i i liked the whole i mean i'm enjoying the whole um mysticism and you know mythical creatures uh, elements of the mcu i think that's a i think that's a nice avenue to start exploring and i love the fact that they you know took into heritage like more um asian heritage within this film which is always always like nice to see um especially since we don't really have much of that in the MCU as in in film as MCU as opposed to like something like Agents of Shield which has had it for like um quite a while um but yeah like it it, it genuinely but the problem I feel like I have with Shang-Chi is it's not a standout MCU film to me like I feel like I've seen it before as I've said and it didn't really other than the whole nice nuances of okay we have a superhero that that can relate to so many more different people out there like to me i'm at that stage where i it it doesn't i think i it doesn't impact me like as greatly as it would impact you know a, a, an Asian child seeing uh, a superhero that looks like them on screen for the first time because I feel like it would have more of a greater impact on them than I guess it, it would feel for me whereas I'm just kind of like you know I appreciate the representation and I absolutely loved you know everything like everything about that side of it uh, though it was very scarce I would say in the film um, and it but it was still entertaining I think big big pluses for this film was the um action in terms of like the um fight styles like they were and the choreographed fight scenes were truly incredible in this film um but overall i just feel i feel like it 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 just doesn't stand out to me as like 
a groundbreaking MCU film, and I, that's what I want. I want every um, every MCU film to have the energy of like. What, what, if if this is not the best MCU film put out, like currently, then um why is it being made kind of thing, um kind of it's kind of taking on, um this is a very very weird reference but kind of taking on like Mr Beast's whole mentality of making YouTube videos. He's like if you guys don't know who he is, he's like a super super, um, popular uh YouTuber and essentially is like if you he he works on the mentality of if my video that I'm putting out, like, next is not, like, the best video I've ever made, then, um, why am I putting it out at all? Like, what's the point? And I feel like if Marvel adopted this attitude, I feel like they'd be dominating, like, even more than they already are. So I guess that's something to consider. Then we move on to a film like Eternals, right? Which is, ex like, Eternals on paper is exactly what I want an MCU film to kind of start doing, right? Which is letting directors add their own, like, stamp on an MCU film, right? So, by doing this, they test the boundaries by letting the creative and, like, stylistic choices from a director actually push through. So Chloe Zhao, firstly, Chloe Zhao, if you don't know who she is, incredible female director, um, directed the Oscar best picture winning film oh, what was it called? Nomadland, that's it, gosh I can't believe I forgot that, uh, but Nomadland and you know how much I have talked about that film and I absolutely love it and the visuals are stunning and Chloe Zhao is like known for her her attention to detail and interest, intricacy of um, you know the cinematography and using that to push a narrative forward which I always am like a big sucker for if done right um, and I think Eternals really tried to do that, um, and in other senses, I don't think it did work. Um, as painful as it, as it, as it is for me to say, like, a lot of MCU stands really didn't like Eternals, and I think some of the criticism of it is quite harsh, but I think it mainly lies within the fact that Certain directors' directing styles just doesn't fit with what Kevin Feige wants out of a of an MCU film. I feel like how it went down is Chloe Zhao was approached by um, Kevin Feige to do a film and have her her stamp on it, you know. And I think Kevin Feige, in a way, was listening to the MCU uh, to some of the people who were who were thinking Marvel fatigue may kick in. And have this whole like let's have a, a a stamp like um have directors have their own stamp on an MCU film make it different make it their own you know give them more creative freedom a lot of MCU directors in the past didn't have a lot of creative freedom think about um goodness was it Edgar Wright who was meant to do an Ant Man film um I want to say that but I feel like I'm so wrong and then Peyton Reed kind of took the helms of it um I'm gonna have to double check that but that is I think what I remember uh reading and hearing about but you know these these constraints can be really difficult for filmmakers to take you know 
Um, and this was their first attempt to be like, take the helms, you know, do what you do best, but just add some MCU things in it. But the problem is, is sometimes these director styles don't mesh well with each other, right? Like, imagine this. <laughs> let's, let's just let's just think about this. Imagine a Wes Anderson, like, Avengers film. Like, it it just doesn't work in my head. They are two they are two ends of a spectrum that to me just wouldn't work. And I feel like that's what they tried to do with Chloe Zhao. And don't get me wrong, I am so happy they tried and attempted to do this because it could have it could have worked out like incredibly well. However, I feel like MCU films have like certain check boxes that they want in it. They're like, oh, we need big bad villain. We need, um, you know, forced love interest. We need uh, this, that, and the other. And, you know, it can be hard for a director to have to fit those, fit those uh, boundaries, and also, you know, make a film that that they want to make. So I completely understand. Um, the criticism is of like maybe it didn't mesh well together however however I do think um, some criticism about just the characters in general or you know the the I feel like people who came out of Eternals and were like this was so boring why did we have so many cinematic shots this that and the other why was there not enough talking this that and the other I think are completely I don't I don't care for those criticisms at all because those were probably some of my favorite parts of the film like there was some stellar acting in this film and I absolutely loved it um however the story was just dull in my opinion I don't think there was a lot going on in the story front I couldn't recite the story to you if I tried and I've only and I've seen that film twice in cinema so that says a lot maybe it's my memory that's bad whatever but i like for the life of me i wouldn't be able to tell you like what that film was about um but what i what i would be able to say is like i i loved angelina jolie i thought she was incredible i thought uh Gemma chan oh my gosh i'm so happy she is uh cersei cersei in the mcu like i'm so happy that she's finally uh, in the MCU and somehow because she's just an incredible actress and there are just so many people in this like in this film that I admire and I thought did standout performances but there, there is only so much you can do with a script that is given to you and you know timing constraints of a narrative and this that and the other so I think that's where it, that's where it fell that's where it fell short um and another thing is this film what MCU films I feel like tend to fall into the trope of is um, they get you more excited about the future than they do about like living in the moment of being excited in the film. Uh, I would say Endgame and Infinity War are probably, um, probably not good examples of that. But I feel like this was a, a good example of like I'm more excited to see the future of of these of these characters as opposed to being excited about how they how they were used in this current moment almost it's just like setup right and everything in the MCU just feels like big long setup which is not what I want give us some more like individually focused super fleshed out narratives that don't necessarily have to like lead on to something 
but I feel like Kevin Feige is somewhere shaking his fist at me saying, no, Nandita, this is not the way. Um, <laughs> so who knows? Um, but overall, I thought Eternals was like, okay. Um, uh, I would love to see the MCU try and do more stuff like this, but considering how the Marvel stands reacted to Eternals, I feel like it is going to be a long time till we see something like this uh, like happen again in the MCU. So that's just my hot take on the, the situation. Uh, but yeah, let's move on to uh, another film that had come out, which was Spider-Man No Way Home. Now, this was the the biggest hyped film of, like, forever. Like, even when Eternals was coming out, even when Shang-Chi was coming out, everyone was really hyped about this one. Because no one knew what was going on. You know, we have a Doctor Strange in this film. Um, there was so much speculation about, you know, who's going to be in the film? What cameos are we going to get? Um, and... You know, this one felt like a very um, excited in the moment MCU film. Did it play on nostalgia and maybe trick me into liking it more than I did at the time because of its nostalgia? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, obviously, contrary to popular opinion, I did enjoy the really cheesy teen plot line, right? Because, like, the whole, like, college admission letters you know, trying to get into to different, different places with your friends and stuff like that. It is quite a cliche trope. However, I did really enjoy it because that's what I expect to see from, like, a teenage Spider-Man film. Like, he is Spider-Man, but he's also balancing, like, the struggles of being, like, a teenager. And I really appreciated that side of the narrative. Nar <laughs> narrative? Narrative. So, you know, I commend them for going uh, to that length. John Watts knows what he's doing with his uh, Spider trilogy. However, um, you know, its success, its success was really based on its cameos and its hype, um, which I feel like is becoming a common trend in the MCU um, since Endgame. Because Endgame had so many callbacks, so many, you know, satisfying things that, you know, it was like incredible. And people were thinking, how are they going to top Endgame, you know? And... If I'm being perfectly honest, they should have stayed away from trying to top Endgame in terms of that level of callbacks until maybe five or ten years on the line when they have the next Avengers film which they're building up to uh, instead of throwing out films at the moment which are just so cameo-filled and cameo-heavy that people, people are going to get sick of it and people are going to think, well, what's the point of this, you know? Like... Don't get me wrong, I think they used this in a very, very smart way. Bringing back Andrew and bringing back Toby, incredible decision to make. And I think it is a great way to kind of pay homage to these two brilliant other Spider-Men that other generations grew up with. Um, in a very nice way to kind of show Peter transitioning it onto his more adult spider-man like his transition into adulthood like a coming of age type of thing and they were like the his spider uncles in a way which is a weird thing to think about but yeah like i i definitely enjoy that um and it had like poignant parts to it and like you know with whole like may's death and the whole like him now having to understand with great power becomes great responsibility um, and like, you know, I'm happy to see 
that now, like, at the end of this film, we're going to get some more, like, Peter Parker, broke college student, which we kind of get in um, the Spider-Man PS4 game, if you haven't checked that out, that's pretty cool. Um, so I'm excited to see that route of Peter Parker, because that's always one that, that's interesting, and I think Tom Holland could do a great crack at it, uh, that's, that is if he wants to continue with Spider-Man, I know it's like a, it's such a big label, and it's such a tiresome role to have to commit to, so I understand. Um, but, yeah. But it took three films, this is the thing that bothered me about this film, is it took three films to kind of get to where Andrew Maguire got in one film. Like, you know, the whole, like, with great, as I said, with the great power comes great responsibility. For Peter, they dragged it out for three films, right? Whereas with Toby's and Andrew's, they well basically established that within their first, like, film, or even first half of their film, like, understanding, like, the, the, the great death that's happened and then, like, how that affects them and impacts them. It's, yeah, I, f I feel like maybe they could have, they could have compacted it and wrapped it into one without the spider, the spider uncles. <laughs> I'm gonna call them the spider uncles now. It's kind of cute. Um, but yeah, it's just, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's positive that they left it and waited it to, to have, like, spider uncles in it. Or maybe it's not, and maybe it's just kind of like, once again, a cash grab to be like, hey, we are dragging this out for for free films to get, like, the full teenage... Because we know Spider-Man is our most popular superhero, um, even before the films come out. So, you know, this is how we can get our money's worth out of him, kind of. That's how that's how I feel. Um, but I'm not sure which one it is. I don't know which, which, which I prefer. Um... But nonetheless, I still think this is probably one of my favourite Spider-Man films. I genuinely really enjoyed it. I need to definitely revisit it with a non-nostalgia hat kind of uh, put on. But overall, it was just, it was great. And it, it brought a big smile to my face. And um, it made me feel happy about the MCU. And it definitely felt like a Marvel film. I think like Shang-Chi, it felt like a Marvel film um, wholeheartedly. Something that I don't think Eternals felt like a Marvel film, but maybe that's what uh, Marvel fans kind of felt a bit annoyed about because it didn't feel like uh, what they were used to. Um, but yeah, and now we move on to the final film um, that we were going to be talking about, which is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Now, in my opinion, and I bear in mind, like, a lot of people have a lot of polarising opinions about this film. Um, and it's funny, I will explain why it's funny in a second, but I think it is a good example of letting a director's creativity um, and NCU content, like having like the, the good balance between the two for like a really entertaining like MCU film. Um, and this is where I think Sam Raimi's like film style um, really fits well with what the MCU, like, kind of brings, right? Maybe it's because Sam Raimi worked on the original Spider-Man stuff. Uh, maybe that helped. I think it, it definitely wouldn't have hindered it. Uh, but I think it, it helped, uh, essentially, kind of get that whole understanding of, um, you know, how to do a superhero or a comic book uh, movie film. And it brought something 
quite interesting and I, I quite enjoyed it. There are a lot of MCU people who, who didn't like the direction it was going in, maybe thought it was a bit messy. I do think there was a lot going on in this film and I have only- have I seen Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness only once? I think I have. I've only seen it once but it is on um, Disney Plus at the moment so maybe I'll revisit it. But it does feel like it's just a lot going on in a film again. However, I enjoyed it because I saw Sam Raimi in this film. As in, like, I saw his his creativity and his art style in a film. And that's what got me really excited because I was like, yes, this is a good example of what we had before. I don't think Chloe Zhao's uh, particular genre, a style of filmmaking, fits well with the MCU. And that's not to say I don't like her film style. I think she's incredible and I love her film style. I'm just saying it doesn't really merge well with what the MCU has to offer. Sam Raimi, on the other hand, absolutely think it works. And this is what this is what Marvel should now start to, to think about doing. I mean, I think they're on the right lines with getting Taika Waititi um, for Thor because his personality really... That was like a first example of like a director's personality shining through um, and his like style of... Um, storytelling shining through for a film so props props that and i'm very excited to watch thor love and thunder uh you might be hearing a review from me for it we'll see we'll see depends how strongly i feel about the film um but that that the whole concept of that just gets me super excited however yes it did rely on a lot of hype and a lot of cameos you know in this film who did we see we saw Reed Richards played as, um, good, goodness gracious, John Krasinski, which was a big fan casting that everyone wanted to see. We saw Professor X by Sir Patrick Stewart come back. We saw, oh goodness, we saw, I think it was Maria Rambo as Captain Marvel. We saw Hayley Atwell come back. Firstly, I have not a bad word to say about Hayley Atwell. We love Hayley Atwell. I met her at, um... Uh, MCM London Comic Con. She's absolutely lovely. Um, that's a complete tangent though, but she's super great. Uh, so it was it was really nice to see her as Captain Carter. Um, again, linking to the What If series. So you, again, if you were were not watching, if you hadn't seen the What If series, you kind of be like, well, who the hell is this? And then you have to Google it afterwards and be like, oh, but is it worth it? Is it worth doing that googling afterwards to be like, oh, great, now I know who that person is. For like who appeared for like all of five minutes in this in this big film, you know? Um, and yeah, it's just, it felt like flooded with cameos. And, you know, I feel like <laughs> for a Doctor Strange film, I didn't really care so much about Doctor Strange. I really loved Wanda's performance. I think, you know, uh, Elizabeth Olsen's uh, acting is just absolutely insane like incredibly good um and her arc was so like it was so gratifying to see because she had gone through so much trauma that had turned her into this twisted villain for her then to die like absolute brilliant payoff and like people maybe may, may flame me for this for this take but i feel like she, they should just keep her dead because her arc was so incredible in the sense of, um, you know, you know, her brother died, 
then Vision died, then she tried to bring back Vision, then she had a family with two kids, and then that got ripped away from her, and then she had to like run away and be a fugitive kind of thing, um, from like the government, and then she was like on this crazed mission to try and, because her kids exist out there somewhere in this like infinite multiverse, um, that she wants them back, only for like her to go like stir crazy about like basically multiverse hopping to basically steal the children away from that multiverse and then come into a new one uh kind of reminds me of um i'm only making this connection now but it kind of reminds me of like into the spider-verse like the whole premise of like kingpin wanting to get um wanting to get vanessa and his son from a different um spider-verse as, uh, as it's spoken in those films uh, to to kind of love him <laughs> weird that i'm making that connection now but it, it feels like a, a similar premise um but yeah it was just so emotional and like you could feel her pain and like see her anguish and turmoil which you know i i thoroughly enjoyed about that film and america chavez was very entertaining but for a doctor strange film i d did not care for doctor strange at all which is kind of sad because you'd want to care about Doctor Strange in a film about Doctor Strange see the dilemma that we have here um and I do love you know the gore and the creepiness and like genuine like genuinely scary like I definitely jumped a couple of times in this film um that aspect of it I really loved but the problem is is that you you end up relying your story like you end up basically thinking that your viewers will only care about a plot because it serves a like a cameo or or fan service sort of like resolve essentially which is not what I'm here for <laughs> I'm here for a good narrative that that stands alone in its piece and you know all these people who didn't watch WandaVision would probably be super confused by this film hence why the whole like needing to watch the tv shows to understand the actual big stuff you know it's a big problem in my opinion so and what if as well i think um definitely plays a factor into this and i think there are a lot of good scenes like a lot of standalone like visually stunning scenes like the whole music note scene oh my god i was a simp for that scene so good oh but then again, I'm a simp for like scores in films. So like the fact that the score was matching with like the music sheet that were being thrown around, it was just very, very nice detail. Um, however, in my personal opinion, I felt like it relied too much on um, cameos and not enough full fleshed out story for Doctor Strange. It just felt, it felt like a wonder film when it shouldn't have felt like a wonder film because it's a Doctor Strange film, which is kind of unfortunate. And then there's a lot of contradictory with like the dark hole in this film and then ultimately him ending up with the third eye, even though the third eye is meant to be a great of evil, but then like, what, what are we getting now? And the third eye looks very gross. I'm gonna be honest, not my cup of tea. Uh, if we see more of that third eye in Doctor Strange, I don't know how to feel about it. But there we are. Uh, that is what I feel about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I feel like it is, it tries to do the things that um, Endgame and No Way Home do 
but to a smaller scale and that's why it kind of becomes underwhelming and then when it becomes underwhelming the storyline kind of has to carry and then it doesn't <laughs> so it's just kind of the spiral of if it meets that criteria great if it doesn't then we need to check if it meets that criteria if it doesn't then you're kind of just spinning in this like vortex of um of just almost tumbling down this vortex of like getting closer and closer to it just not being um what it needs to be unfortunately um with that being said that is basically me covering all of the mcu films i mean overall my overall take on these mcu films is <sighs> none of them have really given me hope like none of them have really screamed out to me and said i love where the mc i love this new direction that the mcu is taking um which is a problem like i remember you know when guardians came out god that was such a brilliant new direction for the mcu that was that was up and coming um you know when oh goodness when the original doctor strange film came out that was a brilliant new direction that they were taking the mcu in um purely because of how insanely and out of the world the visuals were uh when thor ragnarok came out you know when civil war came out there were so many like different unearthing and aspects of the mcu that we hadn't considered before now coming into light and now i feel like we're getting to a point where we're getting so big with this whole multiverse thing that it's almost going to become either a too confusing or b like it's it's going to become too overwhelming that or underwhelming because we we basically have this such a high standard now that it's ultimately going to falter off and the hype is going to be kind of not there which you know there's only so many more nostalgia pieces they can pull at uh until until now they have to start coming up with some some new ideas and you know i've i've hope uh which i'll talk about in the, the future of, of the mcu uh we'll see because we have a couple more mcu films coming out this year and a couple more series i think coming out this year as well um but overall i'm just i'm not feeling it i'm not feeling it from these mcu films at the moment and it pains me to say that like i wouldn't even know where to put these films in my like overall mcu ranking um and i think only one of them hits top 10 for me like and that would be spider-man no way home and that would be the hard carry of nostalgia being pushed through for that um so that's that's my hot take on mcu films um let me know what you guys think. Are you guys really enjoying the MCU films? Are you thinking it's more of the same? I mean, I mean, I know a lot of people who, after Endgame, were kind of like finished with the MCU and being like, you know what, let's just let's just not with this anymore and um, leave it at that. And I kind of maybe feel like I should have waited a bit longer and then binged all this stuff uh, to get to a more exciting point because I don't feel excited, quite frankly. I just feel I feel like there's a this is a lot of um, filler that's a good word filler like these 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 series like gilmore girls and like um friends and like uh big bang theory like they had these like filler episodes that just had no substance to the overarching storyline but they're just there and they exist um but maybe they do maybe the intricate details i'm missing out maybe i'm just not as like hype about it <laughs> you know as an individual anymore um but that that's just how i feel 
Um, and maybe it's coming with like age. Like I'm just I'm like hitting my twenties. I'm like, do I do I really want to be spending all my time thinking about Marvel films like and like theorizing about them all the time? Um, and the answer is I don't know. I don't know where I feel about it yet. I wanna I wanna wait until this year is over to kind of definitively be like, am I down with these MCU films still? Or can I wait until they come out on Disney Plus? Or do I need to be at the cinema and watching these? Uh, which is a day that I never thought I would see coming. But here we are. So with that being said, let's move on to the TV series. Which I feel like I'm going to have a little bit more fun with. Um, but if we're working chronologically, I think the first one we're going to talk about, maybe not so much. Um, Hawkeye. Now, don't get me wrong. I absolutely love Hayley Seinfeld. And I thought her performance as Kate Bishop in Hawkeye was absolutely incredible really loved it you know we got a purple suit <laughs> I mean my bias to the color is really coming through um and you enjoy it in the moment and it ties together quite nicely um but at the end of the day I feel like it is very enjoyable but frustratingly like infuriatingly forgettable and that's the problem the problem is I have to think really hard about what this series <laughs> was like about because I only had seen it once. I've only seen all of the MCU series once. I refuse to go back and revisit them and watch them again. Uh, unless I really, really need to. Um, which I don't think I do. So, I know there was a dog. A blind dog, I think. Was it a blind dog? Yes, maybe. Lucky. Or Pete. Was it called Pizza? It was either called Lucky or Pizza. And I don't remember which one it is. <laughs> very weird that I thought of those two um but I just feel like <sighs> Hawkeye is like I appreciate the fact that the MCU wants to pay homage to the big six and the big six being Hawkeye, Black Widow, Iron Man, Hulk, uh jeez who else am I missing? Thor and Captain America. They want to pay homage to all these characters and give them their due respect and Black Widow and Hawkeye were in need of this However, I don't think Hawkeye had, had enough substance to kind of give us a film, so I'm glad they went for a TV series. But it's something that I, I, I personally didn't want and didn't need or didn't, or didn't feel fulfilled or excited to see. I just kind of watched it because I thought, meh, MCU content, sure, why not? Um, so... You enjoy it, as I said, in the moment, and it ties together nicely, but retrospectively, once again, it relies on cameos and character appeal from elsewhere to make up for the lack of character depth and narrative depth. Um, this being, you know, Yelena, a big part of, like, why I wanted to watch the Hawkeye series is to see more of Yelena, because I really enjoyed her in Black Widow, and I wanted to see her dynamic with Kate Bishop. Um, again, that's not specifically the series that's drawing me in is this other outer MCU character that drew me in you know um freaking Kingpin was in this like the original Kingpin from the Daredevil um Net Marvel Netflix series was in this and that in true like obviously we didn't know that that was going to be in there but that made me more excited about the show than the narrative itself and that's where you have a problem we had a whole episode of LARPing can we just sit down and like talk about that for a second because uh, what was the point we had a whole section of avengers the musical which i really didn't need to, I, I really could have lived without knowing that 
in this world they made a musical about the Avengers Battle of New York. Though it does feel like a very, like, if this did happen in real life, we would definitely be getting, like, a West End Broadway musical on the Battle of New York. Um, but, again, it's not it's not something I, I, I cared to see or, you know, kind of enjoyed about seeing about the MCU. I kind of want the nitty-gritty. I'm not about this, like, fluff anymore. I want to see some dark concepts in the MCU. I'm getting tired of this whole fluff and light and like la di da di da kind of thing. Um, unfortunately, I'm kind of being a little bit cutthroat with it. Um, so, yes, it was probably the least creative in all the MCU TV shows, which ultimately makes it the weakest. I mean, think about it. We had Falcon and the Winter Soldier was very grounded, but as a TV series, it fought some some pretty challenging um, racial issues and... Um, although at times may be considered quite preachy, I thought was ultimately a very interesting and compelling MCU narrative um, that I really liked, especially because Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan really vibe off of each other really well. So it kind of helps that that was, that was in a playing force in the series too. Um, and then you look at something like this, because this is the best one to compare it to, considering they're both like on earth kind of dealing with, with, with stuff uh, series you just think this doesn't really add anything to to the to the MCU in my opinion like I don't see where I don't know I don't know I mean maybe it could have benefited from being grittier like if the tone was a little bit grittier maybe made it like a PG um PG no was it is it what is it in America where it's like the age ring is like R-rated, that's it, maybe making it a little bit R-rated for here, maybe making it a 15, uh, something like um, what Moon Knight was trying to do, uh, which I'll get onto in a second, um, but yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the dynamic between um, Clint and Kate, I think it was very reminiscent of uh, comic book uh, vibes of like how Kate is and how Clint is, uh, and showing Hawkeye actually being deaf, which is a um, comic book, like, um, it is a canonical, canonical comic book thing. Um, again, made me happy. I thought that was a, a great thing to add. Um, but again, all these little, little things don't make up for the fact that the story was kind of boring <laughs> again. Um, and, you know, the best parts were the, the, the cameos as opposed to the actual... Uh, narrative and characters themselves so yeah that's my hot take on Hawkeye um, I think a lot of people would agree with that it being the the weakest of of the MCU TV series um, but yeah let's move on to some more exciting ones and I can say with a hand on my heart these next two series I'm going to be talking about genuinely made me like super happy watching them as, a, as an as an MCU enjoyer it definitely made me like super super happy. So let's talk about Moon Knight. For those of you guys who don't know me that well, um, or don't know me in person, <laughs> you you would not have heard me like not talking about um, Moon Knight. Like it was taking over my entire being because I am a big fan of ancient Egypt. I love the culture. It's so rich and like from a very young age, I've always been super fascinated by it, you know, I visited Egypt when, like, fortunately got to visit Egypt 
when I was younger and I absolutely adored it and I know a lot about ancient Egyptian um, mythology or um, lore as it, as it were um, and it genuinely made me so happy to see that like in place in the MCU because it is not something I would have ever expected to be delved into this deeply in the MCU than it was in this show. And not only did it, it pay homage to the culture so brilliantly, but it also paid homage to, you know, it, it, the representation of DID is so much better than other forms of media that we have seen uh, represent with DID and I feel like they handle it with a lot more care and intricacy and you can tell they did their research and they wanted to make sure that they were they were handling it in a way that wasn't disrespectful to any of the parties involved um and to me Mohammed Daib I, I, Daib I think that's how you pronounce your name I'm not sure if it's wrong I feel bad um absolutely hit the nail on the head with the entire series it made me so happy to see um this just the whole thing unfold and like he is one of my favorite superheroes from the comic so seeing it brought to life in a very interesting and compelling way made me happy like you know the way that the narrative unfolded with like Stephen Grant and like um, Mark Spector you know Stephen not knowing what's going on by blacking out and you as the viewer, who maybe someone who didn't know about Moon Knight, would be like, what the hell is going on? This is so weird. Like, it, it immediately has that pull factor of, like, what the heck's going on? So having a whole episode in a completely white mental asylum where you have Mark and Steven talking to each other, um, like, not within the same body, like, two outer bodies, with a talking hippo. Tawet, the, the goddess of... I think she was the goddess of the afterlife also fertility as well uh but a bunch of stuff but yes insane and like it it just felt so good like the ins like the absurdity of like you know trying to figure out whether it was real or not the whole like um clinic part or like the mental asylum part um really really cool i really i really enjoyed that um and Ethan Hawke, oh, firstly, Ethan Hawke, you, you, are, you are a star. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Um, you guys don't know, he was in the Before trilogy, which is probably what I know him for best. Um, but then now he's in this as, ah, oh god, I don't remember his name, but um, he, he was really good in the series. I thought his character was super enjoyable. I liked the fact that he was quite devout to the whole aspect of I know that my scales don't balance but like I'm okay with someone else being your your loyal servant I just wanted to see you come out like it was like his character genuinely pretty good uh MCU uh, for for a tv show villain pretty pretty well fleshed out I wouldn't say he's up there with like some of the greats but really really good um kind of adaptation and like vibe of of him and then like the whole dynamic between um Stephen Grant and um Mark Spector was so great like you could tell Oscar Isaac was acting his butt off which was 
incredible to see. Like, I saw how they shot some of the mirror scenes and, like, um, hearing about how Oscar prepared for those scenes just makes me think you are also a star. You were born a star. And then, um, uh, May Kalamoe, I think that's how you pronounce it, she was incredible as well as the Scarlet Scarab. Oh my god, I loved that. I, I thought it was incredible that, that she also got some superpowers. There was a point at which I thought she was going to end up taking up the Moon Knight mantle and that would have made me really upset because I don't think um, just femaleifying male, originally male superheroes um, is the way to go. Making new superheroes um, is definitely a better way to approach it and I loved that like, you know, you had the avatars for all of these uh, Egyptian deities, so like Tawet's one is now the Scar Scarlet Scarab um, and then obviously Khonshu's one is um, Mark Spector slash Stephen Grant slash whoever. Um, well, technically it's Mark um, Spector, but whatever. Um, it's just it was just really great to see, and um, it was so emotional, and it handled like the trauma uh, upbringing that that Mark had, and it was just great. Personally, like it just made me feel really happy. Maybe the ending was a bit rushed. I would say that none of the MCU endings of, of the TV series have felt really complete or like they spent enough time fleshing out the narrative. It could be argued that it was a bit rushed. However, in my personal opinion, Moon Knight is like my favorite MCU series that's come out. And it makes me happy because, you know, when I talk about Ms. Marvel a little bit more, which, you know, I have so many amazing thoughts of, even though the series hasn't completely come out yet. I think we've only had three episodes come out of that. But nonetheless, we're moving in this direction of the MCU where we are bringing so much diversity and so much, you know, um, culture into these MCU characters and like the, the talking about, you know, the afterlife, but in you know, in the Egyptian context and like linking it in with with the Black Panther um, afterlife, showing that there are two um, in the astral plane and linking it like that and like, oh, it, it makes me so happy that the MCU are pushing for this, this type of representation and cultural appreciation rather than appropriation. Um, which I feel like we did see in films like Eternals. I'm not gonna lie, I did not appreciate Kingo's character um, being the first type of like South Asian representation in the MCU because it felt very stereotyped. Uh, but I feel like a redemption arc has kind of come into play with Ms. Marvel. Uh, but I will get onto that. So it just it just makes me feel really really happy. Um, but I think now is probably the perfect time to kind of skip over uh, and time to talk about Ms. Marvel because, I mean, this is the last MCU show that I kind of wanted to talk about. It is no surprise, uh, again, if you don't know me, I was a big fan of Captain Marvel, like, had all the comics, was reading her well before, like, on my 13th birthday, I dressed up as Captain Marvel, so, <laughs> yep, there's there's lore there. Um, big, big fan. And I've always associated myself with Ms. Marvel because I feel like I'm like the, the, the Captain Marvel fan, the little Asian girl Captain Marvel fan who, you know, wants to grow up and be like, oh, blah, 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 whatever, whatever, right? <laughs> so Ms. Marvel resonated with me like on a lot of levels. Um, I feel like I might do like a full blown review on it, just talking about how much I really appreciate the South Asian culture that was in this. Um, but being of South Asian heritage myself and being 
like a girl like who has grown up you know being where Kamala has been and like feeling the way Kamala has felt um it it just it made me so happy to kind of see someone and be like that's me on screen like you know something that like Shang-Chi did for a lot of um Asian people like I feel like I've I've felt that with with Ms. Marvel and it's 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 hit me in a way where it's like yo this is being normalized now like our culture is being normalized in western culture like I've only ever seen my culture being brought through through like Bollywood films and like now I get to see it in this type of light you know even with Never Have I Ever like that was the first big thing where I was like whoa damn we're getting it in western we're getting it in Hollywood okay okay but now seeing it in like a superhero film it's just it's like almost the creme de la creme of like the way that just the representation that I want to see for for South Asian culture and it's amazing and even though I am not Pakistani myself there is a lot of similarities between um, growing up as an Indian, um, like a, like a British Indian, as opposed to like a like a American Pakistani girl. You know, there are so many similarities in that, and you know, I still get to relate to that, and that's incredible, which is great, um, and it, it warms my heart so much, um, and you know, it is everything I dreamed of, <laughs> honestly. Like Iman, you have my heart, like. Um, the actress who plays Kamala you have my heart like you are so passionate about the MCU and you know your stuff like you've done your research you your passion shines through so clearly um, and it makes me happy and proud that you are um, our representation of a, of a female South Asian character in the MCU okay, I'm just I can't stop smiling when I talk about this um, you know from the from the mannerisms to the, the religion to to the cultural aspects even with the wedding episode that we just had in the, um like there are so many things I can point out like oh I do that we do that and like also having it with her like dealing with her superpowers um in the MCU just feels really great and maybe I'm a little bit more biased uh, to it because of um of that but it just it ma it made me feel happy and if we think about it outside of my bias and like the whole representation of South Asian culture I think a lot of the, the the music is really great like I feel like it fits the whole vibe of a um American Pakistani girl like vibing and living um her life and, and going through her teen years well also the art the art style is really great like some of the things the graffiti and like the moving, like there was one episode where they were talking about like making, because um, they had a Captain Marvel costume contest and they were trying to be like, oh, how do we make it your own? And like they were talking about different mashups mesh with like Captain Marvel and other superheroes' costumes, but it would show it in the background and the graffiti and the text messages being shown through, um, you know, the neon lights and like, um, like actually not just on a phone screen really like it's the little details where they really thought about how they want to push their style through on this show and they just ran with it and it makes me really really happy and really proud because like it's it's a damn good show so far and we're halfway through and I'm excited to see where it goes we've got so much lore and so much um um stuff left to uncover and we're actually going to Karachi in the next episode which is 
which is insane. Um, just as like, you know, in, in Moon Knight, we actually went to, to Cairo. So, you know, props, props. I'm, I'm loving, I'm loving learning about these cultures and I love just the representation that we're getting and it's just making my heart so full which is why I probably feel more inclined to to like the series more nowadays because you know Moon Knight and Ms Marvel like we're two for two on really really good I think MCU TV series I mean I can't speak for Ms Marvel completely because it hasn't completely come out yet um but I can probably say I will <laughs> I will enjoy it um but it's that type of the MCU that I want to see more of you know, give me more culture, give me more, um, give me more unique uh, styles of telling narrative, you know, because even though Moon Knight share the similarity of being culturally rich with, uh, uh, shares the similarity with Ms. Marvel, sorry, um, of being culturally rich, you know, they, they both are so different in the styles and the way that they present their narratives. And that's what I love. I love to see it. I'm seeing that first hand being like shining through and that makes me happy because you're having this individualistic style to what feels like a, a stamp of what an MCU um, kind of feature it should be. So, you know, two for two on good MCU series. I have hope. Hopefully we get more good MCU series um, like this in the future. I'm excited to see more of Moon Knight and Ms. Marvel. Um, and yeah, they are like probably my favourites up there with Loki uh, being like my favourite uh, MCU series. So let's let's keep it going. Let's keep it on a roll. And I think I think Marvel are more inclined to experiment with these series because they are like short form media, kind of get a, a taster. They have more of a runtime to kind of flesh out the narrative. Um, and yeah, I think. It's a great way for them to experiment on, on what people are liking and what people aren't liking. Um, and hopefully by doing that, they can actually implement it within the films. Because I feel like the films are slacking these days and the series are banging these days. So, you know, they got to keep up. They just, they really have to got to keep up. Um, so I guess now it's kind of time to talk about what I feel like the future for Marvel is and where that lets me sit with this whole Marvel fatigue thing I'm thinking of, right? It's not slowing down anytime soon whatsoever. No matter how much I would love Kevin Feige to pull the brakes on the MCU a little bit, I just don't ever see that coming. Like, we have so much content coming out this year alone. We have Thor, Love and Thunder coming out, which I'm incredibly excited for, don't get me wrong. We have the next Black Panther film coming out this year. I believe we have Or maybe that was Doctor Strange. I don't know. This year is like kind of mushing together. Um, and we have She-Hulk, I believe, coming out this year. Potentially Secret Invasion coming out this year. Um, so like that's a whole, like four more pieces of MCU content that we potentially are getting this year. And I just sit and I think, whew, okay. You know, we're only halfway through the year and we're still getting like, like at least four more pieces of content from them. Which is kind of scary to think about. Um, but overall, I what I expect ooh, what I expect from this type of content is to see more creativity. Give me what Moon Knight was 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 sipping on. Give me what Ms. Marvel was sipping on. Continue on that that vibe and that trend. Um, 
I'd love to see that from She-Hulk. I'm kind of worried whether we're going to see that from She-Hulk or not. Um, and give me that in Secret Invasion. Give me that in Thor Love and Thunder. I think Thor Love and Thunder will maybe, hopefully, fingers crossed, restore my hope for the MCU because Taika Waititi just does not miss. Like, you can quote me on this. Taika Waititi does not miss. Um, so, yeah, it, it would just be really great to see that. And I just want more variety for the different types of MCU content delivered. They've proven that they can do this now. Okay, keep it going, right? Don't slow down in terms of the creativity. Do slow down with the content, please. Um, but don't slow down with these creative juices that you're flowing with. I am certainly very excited to see uh, more of uh, Kamala Khan. I'm more excited to see um, Mark Spector, you know, giving us these culture. I feel like I'm more inclined to, to enjoy the culturally rich aspects of the MCU nowadays as opposed to anything else because it adds value to my experience because I get to learn and I get to see um you know different cultures come into fruition so give me more of that <sighs> my biggest plea which I just don't think I see happening at all with the MCU but I can only hope right um is please please make the MCU more accessible to casual watchers please it feels like I have to watch everything that comes out otherwise I'm not going to understand completely understand this certain thing that's come out right and that's hard to do right that's a hard thing to to um and a hard type of pressure to put on your fans to have to keep up with all this content I know there were cer certain people who would be like I'm happy to see this in a heartbeat um but for me you know it would be nice to not have to watch everything that they put out um, and still be able to enjoy some of the pieces that I'm more interested in. Um, I feel like Moon Knight did that in a really great way. I'm trying to remember if Moon Knight linked to any of the wider MCU. But Moon Knight did really feel quite standalone. And that made me really happy. Obviously Ms. Marvel has to be heavily connected to Captain Marvel. Hawkeye is obviously had so many like interconnections into that but Moon Knight was the first one I feel like I felt could stand alone and you didn't have to watch any of the previous stuff to kind of get it that's actually that's probably why my friend Kingsley watched it Kingsley fellow uh podcast um guest guest appearance um he is very fatigued of the, of the marvels at the moment uh but he was very intrigued by Moon Knight and it was accessible for him to watch give more of that, give us more accessible MCU viewing experiences, it would be so great to have more of that, um, yeah, it would just be super, super great to have more of that, um, in terms of the future of the actual MCU, I, I'm seeing Secret Wars, I'm seeing Kang, I'm seeing Galactus, you know, like, that's, that's kind of the, the things that are playing around in my mind, and hey, we have San Diego Comic-Con happening next month, I believe, um, and there will be a Hall H, and Marvel will be attending the Hall H panel, which is very breaking news to me, because I didn't, like, you know, this whole San Diego Comic-Con thing hasn't happened since, like, pre-COVID um, times, and, like, uh, even if when it did, they didn't, uh, Marvel tend to shy away from San Diego Comic-Con and maybe save it for Disney Investors Day or D23 and stuff like that. So it's it's very um it's very exciting to kind of see it 
come back and it's something that I haven't explored on the podcast yet. So let me know if you'd want like a a San Diego Comic-Con wrap-up episode or like, you know, everything you missed from the, the, the San Diego Comic-Con because I'd be interested to, to cover it, you know, because it's something I avidly like cared about every single year. So, um, and Feige said in the coming months, we're going to hear more answers about where the direction of the MCU is taking, um, is going to be like heading in. Because right now it feels like we've got so much content, but we need to know where it's kind of heading to. Um, and it'd be exciting to see that stuff kind of come into fruition. So I will be watching with, um, wishful eyes upon, upon the San Diego Comic-Con Hall H news that I will get on my Twitter feed and YouTube, so, yeah. Um, and the final point I want to say, as I've said throughout the entire episode, I feel like it's a step in the right direction for diversity in the MCU, um, and just continue doing it, guys, you're, you're doing pretty great with it. So I leave you with this, guys. You've heard what I've had to say. I feel like you guys have seen, like, if you're listening to this, you've probably thought, ooh, is she actually Marvel fatigued? And probably have seen a lot of Marvel content that's come out. Because um, these films make billions upon billions of, of dollars, right? So I pose the question to you guys. Are you Marvel fatigued? Is there anything that's really stood out to you um, in these the narratives that the, that the MCU has presented to you that you've really thought, yes, this is like my cup of tea. This is my this is my thing and I want to see more of this because it's important to to recognize are you watching it for the sake of watching it or are you watching it because you genuinely really enjoy it um sometimes it just becomes like routine to watch these these type of films and because you've been following it along for so long you just feel like you have to continue and that's that's kind of how I'm feeling at the moment um but hold yourself accountable do you gen are you genuinely enjoying what Marvel is putting out do you feel a bit Marvel fatigued? Let me know. There should be a poll in the, uh, if you're listening on Spotify, there should be a poll about whether you have Marvel fatigue or not. Um, definitely do that. And um, I will put up a question. Maybe the question this week will be, what has been your favourite phase four MCU piece of content that's been released? You know, is it WandaVision? Was it, you know, um, goodness, Spider-Man No Way Home? Like, what? What are your favorites? Like, what 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 have really excited you and wanted you to like, like watch more of the MCU? You know, have a think about it and let me know. It'd be really interesting to hear your thoughts. Um, and I think that wraps up me talking about have I got Marvel fatigue? I think the biggest thing is I think I do. If I'm being honest with myself, I am genuinely feeling tired watching all of this and feeling quite anxious about having to catch up with all this content um and getting a bit bored of it if I'm being honest with certain uh, pieces of content coming out however I'm not going to completely rule out any of the content that comes out I feel like I'm going to give it until you know this this whole like this calendar year has finished and see where I sit with with the entire MCU maybe I'll do a YouTube video on um how I feel about the MCU going forward uh, on there and keep it a, sh a short stack about like how how I feel um about about it all I guess and with that being said it is time to move on to the infamous segment of the show the recommend or to the back end
I have been watching a lot of things, um, but I've decided to keep it a stack and keep it like two recommends this week. Easy peas, two recommends. <laughs> Um, so the first recommend will be a TV show, um, and <laughs> to be honest, I feel like, cause I'm, like, now gearing it, like, into my 20s, like, early 20s now, I feel like I should stop watching teenage <laughs> romance films, cause these kids are just so much younger than I am now, and it kind of puts things into perspective, um, because, <laughs> like, in the show that I'm talking about, like, these kids are, like, 14, 15 years old, and I'm like a whole five years older than them, and that's like, that's a weird thing to think about, but anyway, we're gonna talk about it anyway, because it was hella adorable, and had great representation, um, and in Pride Month too, happy Pride Month by the way, uh, to anyone, um, you know, in my LGBTQ plus community, love you guys, you guys are welcome here in this safe space, um, I watched Heartstopper, and Heartstopper is a really cute uh, teenage rom-com, like, not rom-com, more of like a teen romance, like, um, comic adapted into a TV series um, with incredibly diverse characters, um, you know, we have like all ends of the spectrum um, on the show, and it, it's really, it, it warms my heart to see that many, you know, types of... Um, I guess, different types of people being represented the way they should be, and that it's not, like, the defining, like, character trait, you know, and trope of theirs, um, and even if it is, it's, like, more of an understanding of who they are, and shows it in a very, very real-life context to, like, how someone, um, would be feeling, um, if they identified as gay or bisexual or as a lesbian or um, trans, asexual, pansexual, like, whatever um, you identify as. Like, it's it's a great, it was, it genuinely warmed my heart to see that type of representation, and also the romance was very, very cute. So, for all of you guys who want to educate themselves a little bit more, uh, and be uh, amazing allies, <laughs> you can watch Heartstopper, and it's on Netflix at the moment, one season. It has been renewed for a season two, guys, so if you do really enjoy it, like I did, um, feel excited about um about it because it's it's genuinely such a cute show um I don't want to give too much away about it I know I've not like said anything about like the general plot but I feel like it's I feel like it's enough to go off of for you guys to just check it out uh, and enjoy it the way that I've enjoyed it which is great um and then the second film the second thing I want to talk about is film so I've got a tv show and a film which is very rare for Nedica to have for the recommended back end but you know we love to see it right <laughs> Um, and that is The Worst Person in the World. So this film was nominated for Best Foreign Film at the Oscars. Didn't win, because I think Drive My Car won. Deserved, to be honest. Um, but this definitely is a strong contender. Um, it is a film about a Danish woman who is just trying to live her life through her, her, her 20s. And it shows her 20s like super, super fast um, and super, super fast paced and in heartbreaking and harrowing ways, but also very joyous and tremendous ways. Um, you know, it, it really puts into perspective like whether you feel like you're being a perfect person and what the definition of a perfect person is and how your actions can impact, you know, other people's lives. 
um, as well as, you know, having that whole main character syndrome about your life and feeling like you're the most important person and whatnot, and your feelings are the only ones that matter. Hence the title of the film being the worst person in the world, because sometimes you can feel like the worst person in the world for all these things. Um, and I think it's genuinely a good watch to kind of just, to just under, I feel like it's one of those films that changes your life when you watch it. Um, and there are, there are very few films that kind of do that. Um, and I really enjoyed it and it made me sit and think about, you know, the way I want to live my life and the way I value my life and the people that, that are in my life around me. Um, so if you haven't seen Worst Person in the World, you can definitely go check it out. I managed to cheekily watch it, uh, in cinema, um, completely on accident, by the way, how I found it, but that's not the point. Um... But it's a tremendous film, and I I think it's available on rental, so you'll probably be able to rent it on Amazon Prime. I don't believe it's on any streaming sites. It might be on Mubi. That's a good point. It might be on Mubi. Um, but I do not have Mubi anymore, which is sad. But <laughs> can't be spending so much on these streaming platforms. There are just too many of them. Paramount Plus exists now as well in the UK, which is just weird. Anyway, tangents, tangents. Um, but definitely go check it out and give it a watch. I think it's definitely worth... Um, worth the listen so please please do go see it um, and then I guess with that being said has led us, led us to the end of this week's episode thank you guys so much for listening um, let me know if you're liking this style of episode it's always nice to, to keep track and hear your opinions about whether we're liking this style whether we're not liking this style um, of episode so yeah, please do let me know. And if you do want to let me know, you can let me know on my socials at Dita on Instagram and Twitter. If you are listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Overcast, or any of the podcast listening platforms, please do give a follow there. And on Spotify now, you can hit the notification bell like you can on YouTube. So hit that notification bell and get notified every time a new episode of the podcast comes out. That way you are always first to listen, which is what we like to see in the Deets with Deets community. I liked that rhyme, but it wasn't a rhyme. We're going to ignore the fact that I've, I had to think about that for a little bit, but whatever. <laughs> um... And if you want to see what films I'm watching on a day-to-day basis that I might not cover in the recommended back end or topics on the podcast episode, um, you should follow my Letterboxd account. For those of you guys who don't know, because I feel like there are a lot of new viewers here, um, potentially, because I feel like there has been a spike in viewership recently. Um, hello, new viewers. How are you guys doing? You guys great. And hello, old viewers. You guys have been sticking around for the long haul. Hope you guys are doing all right. Um, Letterboxd is essentially a film logging app where you can log films, review films, rate films, follow people who have similar interests to you and read loads of different reviews from people actually who love films, right? And I feel like if you're here and you listen to this, I feel like you love films. So Letterboxd is a great app to kind of do that. I'm not sponsored, but Letterboxd, please do sponsor me. I love your app so much. I basically have gotten everyone I know onto it, so please... Um, but yeah, it's, it's genuinely just a great, a great way to keep an eye on what you're watching and, you know, remember when you actually watch things because that diary function is absolutely great. Um, but yeah, definitely do follow me on Letterboxd. And next, not next week's, because we're now doing a fortnightly thing and I promise I'm actually doing a fortnightly thing now. Um, the next episode we are going to be talking either about Oscar films of 2022. Insane, we're actually doing it. Um, or we will be talking about um, the whole concept of going to the cinema alone and like 
like a study into going to the cinema alone and like what it means to go to the cinema alone my experiences with it because it's a very new experience that that I've been going through and it's something I kind of want to talk about in in length and in detail um but whatever whichever one comes first I guess because I do have to do quite a bit of research for that one so I need to get some people to do some to (laughs) just poke some people to do some stuff for me um but yeah Thank you guys so much for listening, and I will see you all in the next episode. Bye, everyone!